Hi, my name is Susan. I'm from Cape May, New Jersey. I have a son. I had a son, unfortunately, who was transgender and he took his life. Um, I have been very active in the LGBTQ movement. Um, what they're doing is very hateful and hurtful, and it certainly does not gel or mesh with anything religion has to do with this. And I am horrified that we're taking a turn backwards. So I would hope anyone who is a parent of an LGBTQ child would act like a mama bear and fight like crazy. 2021 was a record-breaking year for anti-transgender legislation in the U.S. More than 290 bills targeting the LGBTQ plus community were introduced in state legislatures. 25 of those were enacted. But this year is already on track to break that record, according to the Human Rights Campaign. The advocacy group has counted more than 300 proposed bills across 36 states, and more than a third of that legislation affects transgender youth. What started in 2014 as bans on which bathrooms trans people can use is spread to female sports teams and health care. In some states, the discussion of sexuality and LGBTQ issues in the classroom is banned. Most of this legislation has been pushed by Republican lawmakers, and it's become a galvanizing issue within the GOP. Polls suggest Americans overwhelmingly approve of laws that support the LGBTQ plus community. So why is the GOP going in the opposite direction? This conversation is part of our Remaking America project. Over the next two years, we're collaborating with public radio stations across the country to explore how Americans are bridging their political divides. Stay tuned. We've got a lot to cover after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. And remember to have your questions answered on future topics or just to let us know what you think. Tweet us at 1A. Let's get into the conversation. Imara Jones is the creator of Translash Media and host of the podcast, The Anti-Trans Hate Machine. She joins us now. Imara, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Imara, what do these bills we've been seeing target specifically? They target you specifically because the right wing and its interlocking set of organizations that are focused on trans issues as a part of a larger focus on body autonomy um, and gender, um, which then intersects with issues around um, race um, and other issues that you'll be covering throughout um, the next couple of years, um, understand that the most uncomfortable place for Americans is the idea of trans youth. And they know that because a right-wing organization called the American Principles Project poll-tested this um, to a great degree, specifically through focus groups, and found that suburban uh, moms and dads, uh, the chink in the armor when it comes to LGBTQ rights, is trans youth. And what they're doing through these bills is to exploit this weakness uh, as part of a larger political agenda. And I think that we have to understand that we are not in this moment as a result of an accident. Um, there is nothing natural about going from six 
trans, uh, anti-trans bills roughly in 2019 to several hundred now in the last two to three years. And explain, That's the result of a plan. And explain some of the bills we've been seeing. We'll hear terms like bathroom bill or sports bans. What are these bills trying to do? Mm-hmm. They're trying to target trans youth and to push them out of public life to make their lives as difficult as possible. Um, The bathroom bills failed largely in 2015, 2016, but that was a part of their effort to see where the public was on this particular issue and how far that they could push it. And so they realized that that wasn't working because what was actually happening with the bathroom bills is that it swept up adults um, in bathroom bills and there was a pushback from... Uh, cis people who were getting judged to be trans who were forced out of bathrooms. So that didn't work. Um, And they learned from that to begin to focus more on trans youth. So there are bathroom bills, which which, um, seek to exclude people, um, trans people from using the bathroom, which corresponds to their gender identity. There are anti-trans sports bills, which target trans youth's ability to be able to compete on sports teams which correspond to their gender identity. And then the most draconian, um, they're all draconian, but the most draconian uh, are the medical bans, which seek to ban the ability of trans youth to receive trans-affirming care, even though that may be recommended by the combination of the family, a therapist, and a doctor. Um, And some of those bills, the most draconian of them, seek to ban that care up to the age of 21. So even after people are legally adults. Imara, when was the first bill that targeted trans youth specifically introduced and, and how was it received? It was 2019, I believe, perhaps 2018, but it was 2019. And those bills, um, gained traction relatively quickly. They didn't go anywhere. The first um, anti-trans medical bill was introduced in South Dakota, and that was the result of a conference that was held in combination by the Family Research Council and Heritage Foundation, where there was a panel on uh, trans medical care and trans medical care for youth, and um, there were lawmakers in the audience from state legislatures across the country, and that panel was urging those lawmakers to take up this issue in their states. And so from that, we had um, a bill that was introduced in South Dakota, and even when these bills don't pass, conservatives are learning from them. That is to say, they're learning the language that does and does not work, and they're learning more and more about how to position them. And so from that first bill, um, we had other anti-trans bills, such as the first anti-trans, successful anti-trans sports ban to pass, which was in Idaho introduced by Barbara Ehart. And that was in in combination with the um, Alliance Defending Freedom. So there's a large pipeline here of these ideas starting in some conservative groups, which the SPLC has named hate groups, uh, these ideas starting in hate groups um, as labeled by that organization, and then being, being connected to state legislators who introduced them with the help of these organizations and ultimately collecting to political forces which helped to get them passed. You mentioned the SPLC, and we should say that's a Southern Poverty Law Center. And you also talked about the legal advocacy group, the Alliance Defending Freedom. What more can you tell us about that group? Mm-hmm. Well, the Alliance Defending Freedom um, is um, an extreme 
legal organization um, that has been labeled by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group. They have a very explicit um, mission, which is to enshrine religious ideals in American law. Um, even though they may not be a household name, some of the cases that they have been behind are, such as the famous um, uh, uh, cake shop case to allow um, people to uh, exclude um, or not serve gay people on the basis of their religion. Um, also the Hobby Lobby case uh, involving abortion. So they've had blockbuster cases before the Supreme Court, even though they're not a household name. And they have very specific ideas. And what they do is they shop model legislation, very much like Alec does, um, as we know, for businesses. ADF does um, on trans rights and a host of other issues. And they create model legislation and then work with state legislators to get that legislation passed, which then sets up for them, they know, ultimate um, ultimate cases before the Supreme Court, which they hope will um, land in their favor. So there's an entire strategy here and a self-reinforcing system here um, that ADF uh, has and does, and that's also replicated in other areas of the, the, the right wing, uh, which some are now calling the Christian nationalist movement. We reached out to the Alliance Defending Freedom for an interview, but they did not make someone available. Let's turn now to Oklahoma, the most recent state to pass a so-called bathroom bill. It restricts trans students in grades K through 12 from using the restroom that aligns with their gender identity. The bill was signed into law last week and went into effect immediately. It's the third anti-trans bill the state has signed into law this year alone. On Tuesday, I spoke to the bill's co-sponsor, Republican State Representative Danny Williams. Representative Williams told me that parents have called him with concerns about their kids going to the same bathroom as trans kids, but he did not cite any data showing trans youth are a threat. According to the CDC, nearly 2% of high school teenagers in the U.S. are transgender, so this legislation targets a small number of Oklahoma's students. I asked him why he feels this is such a pressing issue. Uh, I'm not a, uh, a real fan of research. It depends on your motivation, what you're really looking for, trying to find. So I would have to see that, see if it was skewed. But in Oklahoma, it's pretty simple. Male, female, you go to the places that recognize that, and we leave it at that. And to cross-pollinate that is something that we don't accept. And as far as research go, I don't think there's been enough activity to do any research on it. So you're concerned that research may be skewed. Are you not concerned about opinion in the same way? Well, of course, we're... Uh, concerned about opinion, but the you know, the 40,000 people I represent, I got 75% of the vote in the last election. And I pretty much, my thoughts, my process, my values are pretty much reflective of what the people that I represent are. Do I have people with differences of opinion? Yes, I do. But it's okay. Uh, I, <clears throat> I have to do what I think is right, especially keep kids safe. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, nearly 2% of high school teenagers in the U.S. are transgender. Have you spoken with any of the transgender students this bill directly affects? I don't know if I've talked to any of them or not because I have a lot of people come in and out of my office and uh, I never ask them questions like that. I just talk to them because they're young people looking toward the future. But as far as seeking anybody out, no, I have not. 
In a recent survey from the Trevor Project, 45% of LGBTQ youth said they have seriously considered suicide in the last year. Then in another Trevor Project survey from January, 85% of transgender and non-binary youth reported that the debates about anti-trans bills have negatively impacted their mental health. If you're concerned about protecting young people, you're concerned about protecting children, and these are children, why not take the additional time to understand the potential impact on these kids? Are you less responsible for them than the other children in the districts? No, but you said that, and I'd, <clears throat> I'll have to accept you on your 2% of people that identify in this way. That leaves 98%. And the 98% have to be sensitive to them also. And what we're trying to do is provide a fair and reasonable uh, solution to all kids in school, no matter how they think about themselves. And it was for their safety. Why Why did you, again, because I, I haven't heard you talk about specific data that points to there being a safety issue in schools around where kids are going to the restroom. Why, again, not take the additional time to see if this was a law speaking to an actual need going on data, not just anecdote? Well, I don't know um, how old you are. Old enough. I'll be 73 this summer. This has never been an issue in my life until the last few years. When I was in grade school in the 50s, high school in the 60s, there was never an issue here. And I don't know what causes the issue today. To happen what to come what up issue today. do you mean specifically? Transgender. There, was, there were never any discussions about any, any of this back then. So boys went to the boys' bathroom, girls went to the girls' bathroom. We had no problem. But now when this came up, um, it was one of those things that was, okay, we need to address it to keep everybody comfortable and safe. And comfortable and safe are the two issues that we focused on. But as far as anecdotal evidence, uh, when you have parents calling you, talking about something, uh, I don't consider that anecdotal. I consider that real. I want to understand, is this an issue targeting young people's identity? Because that's that's what I'm hearing, that this is about your perhaps and some of your colleagues basic disbelief that these young people have a right to exist as transgender youth. No, we don't feel that way. We That never came up in a conversation. And I think you're being a little overzealous in your criticism of Oklahoma and me too. But here's the thing about it. We have our own culture here. Uh, we're part redneck and part this and part that. And we have our own comfortable mores that we have. We're not against anybody. We're for everybody. And so we, we tried to be as sensitive as we could to people that consider themselves to be transgender, and but protect also those that don't want another sex in their bathroom. Now, this bill you co-sponsored will deduct 5% of state funding in districts that don't comply. The Oklahoman reported that could cost thousands to millions of dollars. Are you concerned that withholding funding could negatively affect all students in a district? No, not absolutely not. If people want to break the law, then there ought to be a price to pay. And if, if they're going to pay the price, it's got to cost them something, and they need to be able to, to work with their own budget. It makes very little sense to break the law in Oklahoma and, and lose the benefits and the protection of the financial support we give them.
Last year, a report from the Annie E. Casey Foundation ranked Oklahoma in the bottom 10 states in the nation for child well-being. That same report found one in five kids in Oklahoma live below the poverty line. Nearly 9% of all children in the state don't have access to health care. Why focus time and energy on this issue? There are people who would look at these laws targeting trans students and say this isn't about addressing a need it's about something else. It's about it's about bigotry. How would you respond to that in the face of these other issues kids in your state are facing? Well, we we're, we haven't targeted anybody. We're trying to make a safe environment for all children to go to school because they're all our kids. We want to take care of them. And, uh, you know, I was uh, called a few names when I was in grade school that weren't complimentary. And, you know, you just have to kind of adjust to things. Uh, I didn't want to do anything about it because back then it was like a fist fight was the way you settled your differences. But we're trying to do what's right for all people, not targeting anybody because we love all our children. Representative, thank you for your time. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. That was Oklahoma State Representative Danny Williams. He's a Republican who co-sponsored the state's latest bathroom bill, restricting trans students in grades K through 12. Let's bring another voice into the conversation, someone who's voted against this type of legislation. Republican State Senator Daniel Thatcher of Utah joins us now. Senator, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So you recently voted against a bill that would have banned trans girls from sports. That bill ultimately passed after Utah's legislature overrode your governor's veto. You told NPR that this was something you would have supported five years ago. What changed? I think the biggest thing that changed was that I started getting to know people. I started I started engaging with that community. I started meeting them and hearing their stories. Um I have long been an advocate in the mental health space and specifically with regards to suicide prevention. You can't work in that space and not see the glaring, uh, disproportionate impact on the LGBTQ and specifically the transgender community. Um, those numbers are absolutely heartbreaking and and I couldn't understand why it was so why it was so bad, why it was so different. <laughs> and so I, I, I asked people, you know, help me understand why this is so bad. And they said, are you serious? And, and, and let me tell you, I, I don't blame them because they had never had a Republican reach out and say, I want to know what's happening with you. And so I'll tell you, my first several engagements um, were, were a little hostile. Um, I think because they they just didn't trust. They didn't believe that I genuinely cared. Um, but I persisted. And I believe that if you can show someone that you do actually care, you get a little bit of grace when you use phrases that are maybe not uh, affirming or, or kind. Um, if they believe that you care, I think they're more willing and more likely to to help you understand understand instead of instead of pounding on you for getting something wrong. So and but, as those doors and as those relationships started forming, they started letting me see and they started letting me experience and, and, and get to know them. And it it has completely changed my view. So with that that being said, what what comes up for you when you hear Representative Williams in, in Oklahoma and his arguments for supporting these bills. 
Oh man, I, I I took so many notes, and then I decided, you know what? We have limited time. I don't want to get into a a, a point by point, but I'll, I'll just quickly say a couple of things. You know, he says, "Oh, we're we're looking at the ninety eight percent. They're not the ones dying. They're not the ones dying. They are not the ones that that we are losing at, at a catastrophic rate." And and so, if you actually want to solve real problems, it it starts with looking at real data. It starts with looking at there is proof of risk and harm to this community that there is not proof of risk and harm to the 98%. So when you when uh, you talk to your colleagues in the GOP, is there any measurable appetite at all to actually look at that data? I'll tell you what I think is the biggest problem. And this, uh, again, this, this is something we could discuss for hours, and I know that we don't have that kind of time. There's a larger overarching problem in all of politics, and it is that of conformity. If you break ranks with your side, you don't get support from the other side to come in and make up the loss. You get look, – look what's happening to Liz Cheney. Look what's happening with, with support – um, from Republicans for for Mitt Romney, any person who breaks ranks, and it happens on the Democrat side too. You know that there are Democrats who stood up and said, guys, we've swung the pendulum too far. We're pushing too far. We need to be able to have meaningful conversations across the aisle. Those people are being isolated and they're being primaried and they're being removed from their own side. We're we're losing people like like when Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch used to come together that's getting harder and harder because if you break ranks, you get ostracized and you get and you get replaced. If you are an LGBTQ plus youth in need of mental health support, call the Trevor Project hotline at 1-866-488-7386. It's available 24-7. Again, the number 866-488-7386. We're discussing the rise of anti-trans legislation. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. A reminder that you can join future conversations. Just download our 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a voicemail. Let's get back to our discussion on the growing number of laws targeting trans youth in the U.S. Imara, in your reporting, what have you found um, as the driving force behind this this push around anti-trans legislation? Mm-hmm. I think that there are two things that are really important drivers. One is belief. You know, we cannot underestimate the fact that a lot of the anti-trans legislation and the focus on LGBTQ people comes from um, the growing religious extremism um, in the Republican Party. And I'm sorry to say it like that, but I think that it's just a fact. And if we had more time, I could go into it. But that's the first thing, that this is a belief that people have that flows very much out of their religion. I think the second thing is politics and money. Um, Republicans understand that even though you know 80% of the population are supportive of LGBTQ rights and trans rights, they know that that 80% isn't willing to make it issue number one or issue number two. But the 20% who are opposed are. And that's the way that you can mobilize a minority 
to blunt the will of a majority. And that's what's happening on this issue. And those two things have come together in a very focused plan um, that has been executed by organizations coming together on the right, like the Family Research Council, like ADF, and like Heritage Foundation. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. You can go online and see that they've come together to form something called the Promise to America's Children, where they are bringing together um, legislators, um, uh, nonprofit organizations, um, in quotes, and activist organizations to drive this legislation. So this isn't natural. It's not like we are here because this is where they have planned to be, and in addition, have connected with billionaires such as um, the DeVos um, and Prince families who are very much behind this issue um, to get us here and who believe that this is a part of both a uh, a religious and a political mission that they have. And until we recognize that, I think we're going to continue to be in this conversation. And uh, people such as um, uh, State Senator Thatcher are going to continue to be marginalized and on the back foot. Uh, Senator Thatcher, you mentioned the uphill battle you had during your, your primary election. How much could this issue potentially split the Republican Party? Or, or, is it, or, or is there not enough pushback against it for that to be an issue? Um, I, I would say right now, I don't think that there is enough pushback, but there could be. And, and so the, the, the challenge that I have is, you know, parties just have so much power right now. And, and people who threaten that, that uh, party conformity, that party uniformity, uh, they, they get marginalized, they get pushed out. I think we can push back against that. But it requires people to stop. Let, let, me, let me just tell you, there are people who say, oh, I wish I could support you, but I'll never support a Republican. Well, okay, but you don't, you don't understand the things that I work on. You don't understand why I'm a Republican. And, and frankly, I think a lot of people don't understand why they are Democrat or Republican. It's one or two issues, and, and they get drug along. Um, just as Amara was saying, they they don't really care about these other issues. They get drug along because they care more. You know, for me, it's fiscal responsibility. It's 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 less government. But this is what is frustrating to me. At some point, Republicans are going to have to wake up and realize that if you're a Republican because you believe in smaller government, you can't believe that the government should intervene between therapists and physicians and their patients. That is literally the exact opposite of what Republicans and conservatives should believe. So using the power of the government to force your personal beliefs onto someone else, that is, that is the absolute opposite, just as racism flies in the face of personal exceptionalism and, and merit. It, you can't believe those things and still be a conservative. And someday the Republican Party is going to have to have a reckoning that we're either conservative or we are whatever the hell we're becoming. Let's go back to our voicemail box. Here's two more messages we received. Hi, this is Jeff from Stanford, Connecticut. I'm actually a lifelong Democrat, but I actually support bills that are designed to curb medical and social transition of children. I really fear that we're performing a horrendous and misguided experiment on these kids. My name is Deb, and I'm calling from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, in response to your story on transgender youth. I'm not sure we should be introducing gender identity as a concept 
to five-year-olds. I think it's confusing, and I think it does remain with the parents. So despite being a lifelong Democrat, I find that I am siding with Republicans on this issue. Amara, what do you make uh, of those messages? You know, it's the result of a really effective misinformation campaign that is a parallel effort to the one that I've described, um, which is about creating uh, confusion around this issue. Um, again, that's a whole nother show. But I think that the point here is that um, as long as there's been recorded human history, trans people have existed. This is not something that's being made up. There are many languages in the world which um, predate European languages, um, which have, you know, five, seven, nine words for different types of gender. And what's new here is the imposition of a very extreme binary within the last several hundred years. That's what's new. Um, and so I think that we have to reconceptualize. And I also think that the point here is that this isn't something, no one told me that I was trans. You know, when I was growing up in the 1980s, no one had to say to me that I was trans. It wasn't something that was widely talked about. It wasn't something that was in the media. I could go on and on and on. But I knew that had nothing to do with what anyone told me. You know, and I've spent my entire life trying to be myself despite what people told me about myself. And that's a common story. And so I think you know, what we have to do is open our minds a little bit and open up our hearts and be willing to learn um, and be willing to connect to other people as human beings like Senator Thatcher has done. And I think that when you do that, this issue evaporates. Um, but the problem is that one out of, sorry, nine out of 10 Americans say that they don't personally know someone who is trans. And that's fertile grounds for people who wish to do us harm. And they are exploiting it to great effect. Amara, just briefly, what are you watching for next as more of this legislation moves through, through the states? I think that we have to watch two things. One, a lot of this legislation is designed to go to the Supreme Court. Um, I know that Barbara E. Hart, who passed the first uh, sports bill that banned trans youth from participating in the sports of their gender, um, explicitly told me that she knew that this was going to go all the way to the Supreme Court when she introduced this legislation and did so with support from Alliance Defending Freedom. So the first thing to see is which of these cases move up to the Supreme Court and with the court balance being what it is, we could find ourselves being in a radically different place on trans rights that's extremely negative and frightening, not only based on states, but also um, nationwide. I think secondly, to look for the degree to which this issue begins to filter up into federal races and not only state houses. So for instance, um, in Wyoming, that's already being the case, but does, is that in more places? And if this makes its way up in federal races, um, both through messaging and then through um, congressmen and senators who are elected in 2022, that I think you know, if Republicans gain control of the House of Representatives this year, we're also going to be facing this legislation from a federal level. So I think that that's the next play here. And I think the momentum is on the side of people who are against trans people having a place in society. 
That's Amara Jones, creator of Translash Media and the host of the podcast, The Anti-Trans Hate Machine. Also joining us, Republican State Senator Daniel Thatcher of Utah, who's voted against anti-trans legislation in his state. And earlier, we heard from Republican State Representative Danny Williams. He co-sponsored Oklahoma's so-called bathroom bell. Amara, Senator, thank you for your time. This conversation was part of our Remaking America project. Over the next two years, we're collaborating with public radio stations across the country to explore how Americans are bridging their political divides. Support for that project comes in part from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's producer was Sophia Alvarez-Boyd. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A.